Hi, friends. Welcome back to the podcast. This may be episode four, uh, depending on where we slot this in. And today uh, we have uh, PJ and I, Davey, uh, talking to you about documentation, the the big D and how to say. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm literally, I'm literally 12 years old. Uh, You're literally 12 years old. And this is what yeah, design systems yeah. is, it is all the about, most man, uh, enthralling know? subject in the world. Documentation. Everyone loves it. Everyone loves to read documentation. We love to talk about it. Yeah, let's forget about yeah, let's forget about Figma for a second and talk a little bit about what documentation means. And I, I think it does mean different things to different people. Um, on the Disney and Hulu uh, design systems, it's meant documentation possibly inside the tool. So whether these are uh, documentation frames that we we send uh, that live in. Um, you know, um, for better, for worse, a Figma delivery template. Um, they could live in that. Uh, they could live as frames that get exported to, to Zeppelin. Um, or, or this could mean something like, um, for us, documentation that is um, product-specific. So uh, product documentation, uh, business logic, that sort of thing. So just wanted to talk through with you, PJ. Uh, when, when you hear about the word documentation, um, what does that mean to you? Uh, at the highest level, it means getting stuff out of your brain and putting it in a place to where um, anyone can access it anytime without asking someone. Um, so it, it can be a boring, laborious process, but um, nowadays, building at scale, the more that we can get stuff out of our brains uh, and get it into a place where anyone within the company can access has a, a huge benefit. Um, not only for the people that consume it, but also for yourself because you're not getting barraged with questions on Slack all day. So I think there's a, it's a win-win just requires a little bit of upfront effort and maintenance. And I think for, for a while, I would say probably two years ago, if you were to ask me about what my, what my personal goals would be, it would be sort of that, that hub for this documentation. So I would be the, per, you know, person of contact and point of contact for all things design systems within, you know, Disney plus. And, you know, we, we quickly found that to be quite brittle. Uh, it really does not allow for the point of contact to, to take breaks, go on vacation, uh, get sick, uh, loss of information, loss of data. Um, and as teams grow beyond, you know, the initial five, 10, even 20 designers that we had, we did need to find a, a better place for documentation and if you were to ask me i think two years ago whether you know i i produce design documentation i, I would probably say no i would say I, I produce design deliverables and in turn you could infer documentation from there but i i never explicitly wrote documentation specs for behavior uh we never had a reference site on for disney plus uh, that you know that went live um we would we would really try to describe everything in, in in situ, and I think one thing that we noticed that became an issue was there was you know the the sources of truth problem, and that would um, elicit just a, lo- a lot of questions, like you said in Slack, like is is this as intended or is this the the latest version? And because it wasn't centralized, and there there might have been you know three different unique spaces where things were documented. 
it became sources of truth or alternate truths, you know. Um, so we really then tried to document more uh, more stuff in Jira as as a ticket. Uh, well, not as a ticket; it, it is a ticket, but as as a source of truth. Uh, but then we heard from you know design that that wasn't you know really a design friendly place to be. Um, as much as I love Jira, that didn't work. So. Where does that leave us, <laughs> PJ? <laughs> um, I, I have a lot of questions because uh, I haven't found the, the right answer myself. I'm just curious. Um, have you tried anything's out so far? Has there been anything that's that has shown promise for you? Two things, and I'll speak on on behalf of like the Disney side and then also uh, the Hulu side. So, for Disney, uh, we've tried um, Envision Design System Manager, uh, then. You really ask yourself the question, like, what what do I document? So I, I started off by documenting things like anything that you would think would be on our team design systems wiki. So whether it's uh, purpose, principles, values, that sort of thing, links to all the relevant component libraries. We were, I was really trying to use this as a, almost a you know a, an onboarding tool for anyone that would come to our team as well. So it would not only hold um, component documentation, but it would hold Zeppelin links, like links out to external documentation. It would also link to um, abstract, you know, files and and libraries. So that um, didn't really get off the ground. Uh, We got the license for that. Uh, I spent spent a month getting everyone everyone excited about it, uh, got a bunch of stuff in there, and then never touched it again. So (laughs) that's one scenario of what happens. Hulu was using Frontify, which is another um, option, and I and I think they they had chosen that at the time uh, because it, w- it had a Figma integration. So that that was the uh, sort of the big selling point. And the issues that we came across uh, on the the Hulu side was that um, there was sort of a, a mirror of this documentation that was happening in in Figma called Blueprint. So that was the the name of the the template, uh, the template starter uh, projects, and designers would spend the sort of like the back half of um, the sprint when they're about to do um, design delivery, spelling out um, all the different um, sort of scenarios, um, breaking out components, showing like uh, in situ examples, showing high res examples in Blueprint. Um, that did not necessarily match what was in the reference site, so those two had issues resolving each other. Uh, then there's the issue of just sort of change management of either one of these. So there's, I would say, the designer's point of view that, w- that would probably love to keep this stuff in Figma because it's where they're working um, all the time. Uh, it's it's a fluid uh, environment, but much like we just talked about in the last episode, I think that's what scares the shit out of engineers, that it's it's fluid. I could go into this um, blueprint starter template and just change a value, change some styles around, and you know, hope no one went into the version history and saw that I did this, um, you know, uh, hours after I delivered this. So, those are the two that's worked for us. I think we're we're in the um, in line to to try again <laughs> to try zero height as as a, another option, and I think that we're gonna look to use it as sort of a, a hub, um, much like I had tried again um, for Envision. 
would include a lot of the the team principles, values, um, possibly access to tools, uh, how to gain access to uh, wherever we're working. Um, but we'll, we'll see, you know, um, what's, what's worked and what, what hasn't worked for you. So we, when we started this whole journey, we actually had, um, we had two sources of truth. We had, um, what is now the Gestalt design system. It was more of, it was more of like a UI component library and it had its own documentation and then design had its own style guide. Those two sources of truth tended to conflict with each other and um, it was enabled to happen because they were two separate sources of documentation that teams could kind of make decisions and not have to check it on the other side. So one of the things I am pretty, I have a strong opinion about is centralizing your documentation uh, to create a single source of truth. Um, a, to make it really clear where you need to go and B, when there are areas of dispute, there's only, you got to make a decision because there's only one place to put it. So you got to work through that, that conflict and, and come to a single decision. Uh, it forces a lot of tough conversations, uh, in a good way. So that's what we've been doing up to this point is centralizing all of our documentation into one place and then finding ways to disperse or, or deliver that documentation to people where they want it. So, so having light documentation within VS Code, having documentation in Figma, but it's all based off our off of our web docs, so that we update one place and it and it gets distributed to the tool of choice, as opposed to manually keeping three sources of documentation updated all the time. Um, you know, the tough thing about multiple sources of truth is not only is it more expensive because you have to update those three areas, but it also introduces the opportunity for mistakes. So you forget to update it or you lose track of it. And all of a sudden people are looking at the wrong quote source of truth when it isn't the truth to begin with. So we, um, we've really gone all in on centralizing and, um, it's been a pretty major effort, but it's starting to pay some pretty significant dividends. The other benefit that we have is, and we backed into this, it's, it's no thanks to, to myself or the current team, the, uh, the, the initial Gestalt team built a, a doc site and it's, it's just a open source site that's publicly available to everyone. That means we have full control as to how the documentation is handled. It, it's, you know, it's, it's not perfect, but, um, it does give us a level of control and ownership over the content. The thing that makes me nervous about services is if there isn't data portability, you are now locked in to that platform, which creates risks, you know, they up the price or the product is stale or it's heading in a direction you don't like now, what do you do? Um, but if you have, if you have data portability and we want to, you know, let's say we want to build on, on a, on a CMS or we want to go a different direction, we own all the content to do that. Yeah, I think that was one of the, the questions of just using Envision DSM initially was, in the case that we were to like stop using it, how can we get the information out of there? And I think the <laughs> the the really um, boring and legacy way that I, I did it was just I copy and pasted everything into a Google Doc just to keep it keep it there um, and keep it uh, at a state and time. Yeah, and that 
totally can work, right? You can just white knuckle through it and copy and paste everything. But you get to a point where it gets so big that doing that is a Herculean effort. Yeah, and I think just to back up uh, on my statement of like I, I don't do uh, design documentation is I, I think we have leveraged Zeppelin quite a bit for design delivery. Um, we are not sponsored by Zeppelin, but I did give a give a talk talking about our usage of their style guides and um, using using their tool to document design tokens, uh, color tokens, type, um, and then component definition. So um, that that is mostly from uh, not only like an atomic level, but from an in- inspect point of view, uh, does not add any sort of extra clarity into usage or guidelines. Uh, so I, I sort of disambiguate documentation from that, like the style guide and those sort of things, because those are just uh, value X is blah, <laughs> value Y is blah. It doesn't necessarily uh, show intent. So this one, it's a to note that yeah we we've had a lot of also questions about what yeah what other open source or what other um options there were other than zero height i think the our web design system team i, I believe is using fractal so they had gone away from using storybook because they wanted to capture um props this good old uh uh, atomic uh, atomic stuff and and pro- and, and props uh, solely and and because we we have worked so closely with them the the fractal site works very well for us because it, it, it is a mere output of just the the foundational layer of of all of the web app um, we talked about using github and storing it that as a sort of a, using that as like a documentation site but I, I think just the the access to get there uh, is not always the easiest for for designers, and it, it is a little bit more, I would say, uh, protected and gated. Um, so that that was a little bit harder to uh, quickly get into. One nice thing about using a, a service um, like Zero Height um, initially is you can figure out what's working and what's not pretty cheap, you know, pretty cheaply. It's in corporate world, fourteen. $15 a month is a rounding error. You sign up for this thing, you try it out, you kind of learn what works, what doesn't, what what sticks, what doesn't, and then you can apply that. You can either stick with it if it's working or you can you now have a direction for how to how to build your own thing if if you're ready for it. So, you know, starting building your own documentation from scratch from the start is a bit risky because you're going to make a lot of mistakes and and have to manually address those mistakes, you know, build those, rebuild those mistakes or fix those mistakes. But if you can, um, hit your wagon to something that's already made, uh, that will give you a a better signal as to what you need to do down the road. If you even want to switch. Yeah. The, I think the other one that some, some folks have, have used uh, on our team. Um, so one of our designers, Brian cars was from target and they had used Gatsby. I think, I believe that's the same, service that uh, Spotify uses, but it is not a, um, to my knowledge, it's not, it's not WYSIWYG. It, it's a, a push uh, mechanism. So I, I think from, from a designer's point of view, I think that is a little bit of a uh, interesting one too. Um, and may not be the easiest to, to control as well. Yeah. There's, there's so many, there's so many options out there. It can get a little overwhelming. 
to be honest. I mean, in a, in an ideal world, you, to make it, make documentation a little bit more accessible for folks, you'd have some sort of CMS to where individuals who don't have the ability to write code can, can push an update to the site without, without a PR. Um, but even implementing a CMS takes a lot of work. So we've had a lot of conversations on our team about that. And it's, it's no small feat to get to integrate a CMS into our site at this point. So it's, it's tough. Uh, these, there isn't a, I don't think there is a singular, oh, that totally works for every single situation. Um, it really is the trying to assess the needs of the company, your own resources, uh, own capabilities, and, and coming with the best solution based off of that. Yeah, I think one of the things that you had, you had showed me um, early on was that uh, you had you had an internal design technologist that help you build an inline, um, maybe not inline, a, a tool within Figma that pulls from the doc site. And I know that uh, Mike Mike Wilson uh, built a plugin. Uh, I think it's it's called Gist, and that that's uh, I think very similar to what you had showed me where uh, inline in, in Figma, you'd be able to uh, click on a component and then open, open an iframe of sorts to gather, gather more information. So tell me, tell me how that that's changed, like how designers are working with documentation. I think it's a little too soon to say how it's changed, how designers are working with documentation, but I can tell you what we hope it will do. So, so we, we want to make our, our, our docs more accessible to designers, we understand that Figma is their world in many regards, and opening up a browser to, to look at usage guidelines is is kind of breaking your flow. Um, so, what we we came up with an idea, geez, about a year or two ago, and have only had a chance to implement it about six months ago, roughly, is to uh, essentially have a glorified iframe plugin, uh, a Figma plugin with an iframe that detects what component is selected. And then, and then from there, it knows what URL to open in that iframe. Uh, so effectively makes our documentation available in Figma in a, in a plugin window, um, with just contextual knowledge of what, of what you're selecting. Um, and the hope there is that we're making the documentation just that much more accessible to get, um, to build in the habit of if, and when you do need to look, for guidance for the system, it's it's available in your tool. We're doing the same thing for engineers within VS Code. Um, so, but it's all based off of our of our web docs. So, what we're not doing is is rewriting our documentation uh, for our plugin and for VS Code. We're we're pulling the content from our site uh, into into the tool of choice, um, and that will. Unless something drastically changes, that will be our philosophy moving forward is we have a centralized single source of truth that then gets distributed to tools from there. Yeah, I think that's where my, my head's at a, a bit in, in terms of at least get it as close to centralized as, as possible. And, and it's meeting where the, the stakeholders are. It's meeting where your customers are, whether that's in VS Code or in Figma. And there, there's, at this point... Um, Little excuse to not, you know, open that uh, if we're if we're meeting the designers 
where, where they are. So that, that it shows a lot of promise and I hope to dive into, you know, some of these plugins a little bit to see, see how it works for us. And I, I enjoyed the idea of being able to pull from a doc site only, only for the, the maintenance costs of this also like the, the thing that if, if we were to, you know, go back to a workshop that my team, um, there's, there's six, six ish of us, there's six of us. Uh, I sometimes, uh, not count myself. There's six of us on, on our team and we had a workshop and we talked about, um, what are the different, uh, you know, pillars of, of design systems that we wanted to work on. So like some of them was, uh, like documentation, uh, extending tools, um, governance, and documentation was uh, on the, on the thumbs down uh, portion of <laughs> a lot of ours because we know that it's a it's a it's a pain in the pain in the tuckus to to maintain and one one thing that I, I've seen um, some larger design systems teams do is um, like GitHub has a specific um, <clears throat> content writer role that is like a documentation writer. I think it's. It, in my in my mental model, I think it aligns to content writing, and I think that we've been hearing a lot of that also in the design system space, like content writers uh, embedded in, into our teams. And I think that's another area that I think this could flex to, similar to our conversation about uh, design technologists. I think we have the ability to have a a team that has uh, truly cross functional partners uh, from many disciplines. Because designers and design system, you know, practitioners may not want to spend all their time writing this documentation. They want to just be turning through these components and, and you know, and whatever tool they're working in. Yeah. So it's funny. Uh, in theory, I agree. Um, however, my concern about a content writer, if that's their sole purpose, is you are creating a, a colossal single point of failure <clears throat> where if that, if that content designer takes a vacation, gets sick or leaves, then you have a team that's not equipped to write documentation. I like the idea of someone who has an emphasis in documentation, but I, I do believe in my core that anyone on the team should be able to write some level of documentation and the person who's best equipped to write even a rough draft of the documentation is the person that made a thing. So if you designed it, you built it, you're going to have a pretty, you better have a pretty strong opinion as to what it's for. How should you use it? When should you use it? Um, so will it be as polished as a, as a content writer? Maybe not, but also think about the poor content writer that had nothing to do with this, this component doesn't understand the context and now they're tasked to write the thing. Of course they can meet with the designer or meet with the engineer and understand it, but that requires a level of work as well. So ideally I would, you know, on our team, we really tried anyone on the team should be able to contribute to the documentation, but understandably our skills vary in terms of our capabilities in writing. And so that polish that a content designer can bring is very nice. It's a nice icing on the cake. Uh, I just, I get a little, personally, I get a little itchy when you have a, a singular person that's holding up a whole pillar of the, of a team's responsibilities. No, yeah, I got you. I think I'm thinking more reframing this, <laughs> reframing this, um, more of a, a lead, 
on, on this. I think the, yeah, we've, we've dealt with this before losing, um, some key designers that, that were experts in accessibility. They were able to create some light documentation, but we, we never got to building the documentation on, on a doc site or in, in Figma. So we, we have best practices. Uh, but as, as you said, it's, it's a little bit here, it's a little bit there. Um, and it's a little bit out of date <laughs> at this point. So the, we've dealt with that, um, point of failure but yeah it's it's always interesting seeing that the new roles i think the documentation designer uh role on github i think might be extremely specific and nuanced as well yeah but i think what you brought up is a great point a great argument for documentation you mentioned that you had some folks working on accessibility and they left imagine if they didn't write anything down (laughs) and how you know how much of a ditch you'd be in um but the fact that they that they they collected their thoughts and put it in a in a doc. That's a great starting point for a, another team to take on. Uh, I think it's a, a strong argument for um, the power of documentation. I know how silly that sounds when I when I say it, but I think we take for granted just how much we rely on other people's expertise uh, when they leave. How much we've lost if it hasn't been recorded somewhere. And now uh, this is this might be a leading question <laughs> my, my favorite uh, but how how might you argue that some of this information should live on the doc site versus like a, a company wiki a company confluence or you know something of that manner i think that's something that we've we've been talking through like possibly the rest of design and product maybe trying to leverage confluence for their documentation how can we stand up our own documentation in a separate area that is serving the same group of customers. Yeah, man, I don't know about that. It's a, it's a tough, I understand the argument of, well, we already have confluence. Why don't we just put everything there? Um, I can only speak for myself in my experience, but uh, my experience with confluence is because everything goes in there, you can't find (laughs) anything. And because it's, kind of a catch-all for content. It doesn't necessarily give you the tools to, or easily give you the tools to display very specific types of content like design system documentation. Um, and so you get pretty limited by, by what Confluence offers you. Um, I understand the argument of, you, you know, you're talking about a single source of truth. Well, we have one. Why are you going to, why are you going to create your own thing? I totally get it. Um, I just haven't, personally found a way to uh, effectively articulate design system documentation within a tool like Confluence, especially web web component documentation where you the, your natural inclination is you got a button, you render that button right on the page. Um, and that, at least to my knowledge, is not possible within Confluence. Um, so that's, that's a hitch there. Um, I, I don't know. I, I have not had much success with Confluence. Yeah, I think this sort of riffing on the idea of using things that already exist. So Confluence is one. I think for us that use Google, I think you could spin up a pretty easy Google sites that looks, you know, can look pretty mature depending on how much how much time you put into it. And I, I'm finding um, we have a big need for not only centralizing, but I, I would be happy if we had a hub 
um, and worked on this hub and spoke model because we are going to have, like, let's be real, we're going to have some stuff in Figma. There's going to be some stuff in Zeppelin. There's some probably legacy stuff in Sketch. And I think we just need to gather from like an initiative level where these things may have lived in the in the past and uh, sort of look towards the future on on centralizing. But I think it, the hub and spoke model. Yeah. In, a, in, in your perfect world of lollipops and unicorns, what would, what would, doc, what would a documentation solution at, at Disney streaming look like? I, I mean, I like the idea of meeting, meeting engineers where they work, meeting designers where they work. I think the VS Code, <clears throat> I think there's more of that integration that I've been hearing on the Adobe side, Adobe and VS Code, or XD and VS Code and that, that sort of thing, which, which excites me because it tells me, and you know, hearing what you've been digging into, it tells me that it's it's possible. So that's that's always like a interesting thing for a design technologist to you know take a take a gander at. It's not just about extending Figma; we could extend many other tools. Yeah, there's a new there's a new standard. I don't even want to call it standard, but Adobe's working on. Oh, geez, I'm just going to butcher this, but there's. A design system package format. Package. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, design system package that you can that other uh, apps can consume, and that's what we've been kind of toying with, you know. Um, because VS Code is one tool, but what about Xcode? What about Android Studio? Those, and I have no idea if they ingest DSP at this point. Um, but those are the things that we'd love to get to at some point. Um, and I think that's a, a promising approach to do that. What's your take on getting, uh, building a habit within a company to access documentation? So you write all this stuff, and I think understandably leadership gets concerned about, well, but are people going to read it? Um, how have you tried to address that concern and, and, and start to incentivize reading the documentation? I mean, all of this stuff to me is like a, a starting point. I think the whole design system, systems plural in, in general, is marks that uh, there's there's a starting point. You're not starting from scratch. So even if you're doing discovery on a new feature in you know a streaming app, like we most likely have built something like this already somewhere in the library, either in Figma or Sketch, which represents a starting point. Maybe we built it years back, um, back to when we worked for, you know, baseball or we have institutional knowledge of, of this stuff. So I would expect this to be leveraged, um, and, and the many different phases of the project. I think primarily, I think it's primarily like in, in the, in the middle, like past discovery where you're trying to understand, um, how to use what to use. And it, it would, be a perfect pair to to our office hours, and we'd be able to send send links out to send people into the in the right direction. This could be used in the discovery phase to see like what's what's been done. But this touches on something I think that we'll talk about in in a next episode, uh, which is the M word mandates and just the mandates buy in from leadership and and the support to access and utilize your tools. And, you know, uh, it, it's a little bit about accountability too, uh, which is, I think a little bit of a scary word. The A word, M word, D word, lots of, lots of words. 
Well, this is fun. Uh, as much as documentation can be fun. It was a, it was a fun topic. Yeah. So yeah, we're, we're at the 30, 32 minute point. So thank you, PJ, for another great spirited documentation about, uh, that, 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 that. I'm just going to end it and say thanks. Thanks PJ for, for jumping, jumping on and chatting about documentation. Thank you.